Hey, everybody. Welcome to Trashy Divorces and our Wednesday episode, Midweek Drop, Trashy Breakups. Hey, y'all. I'm Alicia. My name is Stacy, and Alicia is literally buzzing and has been all morning. Thank you for joining us today for some Trashy Breakup Trash Candy, y'all. <laughs> this week, I got the king. There needs to be some kind of special Trashy Award for Warren Beatty. You <laughs> thought uh, John Mayer uh, soft 500 was the king. He is merely a court jester. Sure. Merely a prince sure. in whatever this new category is that we're creating. Mm-hmm. Warren Beatty, whole new ball game. You've actually had to break this up. This is part one. This is part one. Of Warren Beatty. From like circa 1959 to circa 1972. That's as much as I could get in in a reasonable time length of an episode. Okay. All right. Warren Beatty. Wow. Whoa. Rumored to be in the upper 12,000 range with the ladies. John Mayer, eat your heart out. When does he do anything else? You did. I had to show this to you earlier this week. Uh, Just pulling up his Wikipedia page, he is linked to 103 women of those almost 13,000. He has a section on his Wikipedia page of women he's been linked to. Warren Beatty could be his whole own podcast. His Trashy Breakups is its own podcast. But again, as you mentioned, today we're here for part one. (sighs) Warren Beatty. Earthquake driver, Aries man. He's born March 30th, 1937. He has a famous sister he does. that you covered many moons ago. Very entertaining story of uh, Shirley MacLaine. I'm going to give you a little backstory here. It was aliens. It was It was always aliens. Okay. I did see a funny thing today. Like aliens show up and they're like, you're not even scared of us. And it's like, I've had a really long year. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, <laughs> nothing surprises me anymore. All right. A little backstory here. I'm taking this from Stuart Husband, writing in The Rake, in his piece called Single-Minded, The Women of Warren Beatty. He was born Henry Warren Beatty in Richmond, Virginia. The family was Baptist, and Beatty had an estrogen-rich childhood, with his mother, sisters, aunts, great-aunts, and bevy of female cousins. Despite or because of this, he remained a virgin until he was nearly 20, but was always preternaturally receptive to women and their needs. It was like he heard them calling to him on different frequencies, Biskind says. After toying with the idea of pro football, Beatty moved to New York City, where McLean was already appearing on Broadway. He declared his seriousness by adding a T to his surname, stating that it rhymed with weighty, not with weedy. Okay, cool. So Warren Beatty was born... In New York City. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, correct. (laughs) Peter Siskind, writing in Star, says he was Captain Cool, Mr. Natural. It cost considerable effort to present a lacquered exterior like his, but you never saw the gears grinding. Okay. Rolled out of bed like this. Shit. All right. Warren Beatty, like many professional accomplishments, 15 Academy Award nominations, eight of his... Produced films have earned a total of 53 nods. He's got a bunch of awards. He's changed the face of Hollywood. All cool, all groovy. I don't care. I'm not here to talk about any of that, except where it intersects with his trashy breakups. I'm just amazed he had the time. Warren Beatty starts when he's 20, right? We just heard. So that's 1957 or so. He marries... Annette Benning at the age of 54 in 1992. He had to sow some oats. 
He had a lot of oats. Horan Beatty does have a lot of oats. Always with a lady. Doesn't matter. Younger ladies, older ladies. He is an equal lady opportunity bunko player. <laughs> All right. Who didn't he woo? He betted everybody. So Peter Biskind in his biography asserts that Beatty had betted 12,775 women. Warren Beatty will dispute this. But math-wise, if you're working that out, that is a woman a day essentially over a 40-year period with a day off a week. (laughs) Doing the math. Everybody's got to rest sometime. Warren doesn't say much about it all. He um, (laughs) is not at all interesting in an interview, actually. Hmm. Uh, he, He doesn't. He doesn't deny much, but he doesn't supply much either. I'm sure he loves the reputation as being like Hollywood's. The Lothario of Hollywood. Yeah, most Mm -hmm. incredible ladies, man. I'm sure he loves that. He sleeps with a lot of his co-stars, a lot of singers, a lot of movie stars, a lot of swimsuit models, a lot of newscasters, maybe some royal family members too. Dude gets around. He's probably going to think this episode is about him. The song You Are So Vain mm. by Carly Simon, released on her 1971 No Secrets album, is partially about Warren. We're not to that point in the story yet. Right. We're going to get there. We're going to take our trashy divorces TARDIS, whoosh, whoosh, back to 1959, where Warren's first Hollywood lady is a favorite TD alum of ours, Jane Fonda. Hmm. Hmm. Jane and Warren will meet at a screen test in 1959. I'm pulling this from W Magazine. Noting their 1959 screen test for the film Parish, W revealed that Beatty recalled that they were thrown together like two lions in a cage and kissed until we had practically eaten each other's heads off. Okay. Still from W. In response, Fonda told the magazine she didn't remember the test at all and jokingly added, I thought Warren was gay. He played piano and all of his friends were gay. Uh, And another source here, Jane Fonda will say, he was so cute, but I thought he was gay. He liked to play piano in a piano bar. What were the odds he was straight? Shows you how dumb I was. (laughs) So the friends she's referring to are William Ng and Tennessee Williams. Okay. So you could understand that Jane probably makes a logical conclusion that if you're hanging out with Tennessee Williams, playing piano in a piano bar... Unless you're a big game theory guy. (laughs) And your wingmen will never pose a threat to you. So even though Warren doesn't say a lot in real interviews, he will let some things go. He he makes it known how he feels. This is real classy. And I mean that not. Warren Beatty will return this sort of compliment (laughs) by saying that Jane Fonda gave the best blowjob in L.A. Owing to her ability to, quote, virtually unhinge her lower jaw like a python, unquote, Dude, that's Adeline. Come on. No, you don't even know what a ride this episode is. And we shall repeat the scurrilous statements for you. No, Jane Fonda, I hope you slap the fuck out of him every time you see him. I'm just saying. Jane and Warren, I suppose, in 1959 are eating each other's heads off until a night at La Scala when Warren spies another TD alum, Joan Collins. Spiderwebs everywhere. Joan Collins, when these two meet, is already established in your career. He is not. This is 1960. Okay. He has not yet broken out in his breakout role of Bud Stamper in Kazan's Splendor in the Grass. 
He is about to start with Vivian Lee in the Roman Spring of Mrs. Stone. He's 22. She's 26. But this is a relationship with a capital R. He calls her for a date. He'll move in a few weeks later with her. Okay. Joan. Joan says, it was quite a passionate relationship. It was quite demanding. He was 22. Another recollection from Joan Collins. He likes to mold his women. And I had to stop drinking because Warren never drank. I had to take vitamins because he did. He would be calling me 36 times a day. And he was insatiable. Three, four times a day, every day. I felt like an oyster in a slot machine. Colorful. Good time to remind everybody. Are the ER months the months you do or don't eat oysters? I can't remember. I know there's no white after Labor Day, but I can't remember which way the oysters go. Okay. Warren and Joan get engaged. Joan will become pregnant. And she will say in 1960, it was just not the right time for her to start a family. Joan will write about this experience in her 1978 memoir called Past Imperfect. She will explain, I had an abortion. It would have been the death of my career. I was by then 26. I hesitated, but I realized if I was going to have a child, I was going to be able to bring the child up properly. And I believed very strongly that I'm in charge of my body. I was a feminist before the word was heard. And I should do what I felt was right for me. It would have ruined my life. I didn't have a tinge of regret. A timely statement. Very timely statement. So on the counter of that, Warren. Oh. Little quote here as we're moving back along. Women are like a jar of olives. You can eat one, close it up, or you can eat them all. There's a lot of devouring imagery in this story so far. He might eat them all. We are moving along to another Trashy Divorces alum, Cher. The year is 1962. She is 16. He is 25. Oh, God. He is already hooking up with Natalie Wood, but no matter. Elle Magazine will tell the story like this. One night, while passing Schwab's drugstore, Cher was run down by a white Lincoln convertible. Are you nuts? She remembers saying to the guy. Then I looked at his face and thought, my God, it's Warren Beatty. (laughs) Spoiler alert, Cher and Beatty started dating, but you can't call it a relationship, Cher tells me. It was very Warren. Cher didn't get home until well after curfew that night, and as punishment, she was barred from seeing Beatty the following night. Beatty will call Holt, Cher's mom, and negotiates Cher's release from captivity. Not a long relationship. Breaking curfew, you know, will become tough, especially when you're trying to do it, because Sonny is going to be coming with a quickness I was gonna about say, this time. This is about the time she and Sonny hooked up. Mm-hmm. Wow. So literal car crash of a relationship. Little car crash. Now, Cher will say later, I was only 16. Maybe I can get out of it with that because you were 16 and what the hell? Yep. Uh, she will also say that Warren has probably been with everyone I know. That sounds like it's likely. Okay. Moving along. Another Trashy Divorces alum, <laughs> Natalie Wood. Warren and Natalie star together in 1961's Splendor in the Grass, changing movies forever. And naturally, a mad love affair begins. And Natalie, this guy is bad news. People show you exactly who they are. Believe them. Warren likes to play, quote unquote, with Natalie by hitting on Natalie's younger sister. 
Good one stuff, of, good stuff. Yeah, one of his favorite tricks is to bail on her while she's sitting down for dinner at a restaurant to go have a hookup with a hat check girl. Uh-huh. So this on-off nightmare of a saga goes on for about two years until Natalie is going to turn to RJ for support. But even when she breaks up with RJ, she's dallying back. This is Robert Wagner. Correct. Sorry. have forgotten. Correct. Again, trashy divorces lump. They're all here. We have our own lingo. Uh, Natalie's going to hook back up with Warren Beatty in at least a summer of 65 because she's waiting for his phone calls at Roddy McDowell's and his beach parties that Dominic Dunn is attending spiderwebs. It all just goes together. Anyway, two years on and off, Natalie will turn to Robert Wagner for her marriage number one of two to Robert Wagner. Uh, You you don't think Warren Beatty was marriage material at the time? (laughs) Out of the frying pan into the fire, man. I mean, Natalie will once remark of her past paramour, Warren. Warren goes through women on an industrial scale, although he does it with great charm. I mean, he must. He must be among the more charming humans alive in person. Okay, so we're going to stay here in the early 1960s for a few more TD alums here. The guy was busy. This time, the esteemed and venerable Vivian Lee. The Roman Spring of Mrs. Stone is released in 1961, the same year as Splendor in the Grass. Warren Beatty plays an Italian gigolo, getting up on Vivian Lee, who is 24 years older at the time. Now, questionably, there are some thoughts about this potential affair. Maybe it's a publicity stunt. Maybe it is just cementing the rule that if you are Warren Beatty's opposite co-starring lady Mm -hmm. you're going to sleep with him at some point what is remembered about this film and perhaps a fair for me is the terrible fake tan that he has all the way through filming also that he will take longer on set in makeup than vivian lee moving on it's time that warren spends a little time with mamie van doren this is short-lived But Mamie comes out in 1987 in her autobiography stating Warren is a wet kisser. He drools a lot. He has such active glands. She'll tell two people magazine. Well, it's so he can devour your head, Mamie. I'm just saying. Get a little lubrication to get through the hair. Up and over, up and over. Okay. Let's for good measure spend a moment internationally here. With Brigitte Bardot. Hey. This was steamy, uh, hot and heavy, but not one bit of commitment. (laughs) Brigitte Bardot will write about him. Warren had a ferocious charm that was impossible to resist. Why or for whom would I have resisted him? (laughs) Props. Everybody take a breath. Now's a great time. We're going to take a moment to hear from our sponsors this week. On the flip, we're coming back with... Wow. Everyone you've ever heard of. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. 
We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Try like, to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you <laughs> listen to podcasts on. Yeah, podcast your, homecasts. Your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. Alicia, we're back. Let's uh, <sighs> woo, Let's continue the tour. All right. The rest of the 1960s and early 70s. Everybody okay out there? Next up is Leslie Carroll. And friends, I'm going to let her tell you this one from her 2009 autobiography, Thank Heaven. At the time of the relationship with Leslie and Warren, Leslie is married to Peter Hall, which is potentially a trashy divorce in the future. But I think the slice of this will give you the flavor of this relationship. We saw it with John Mayer. He's the guy that you rebound after a bad relationship or he's the last guy you date before you get married. We're going to kind of see the same thing. Warren. The number of trash cans has not been invented yet. Okay. This is from the esteemed Leslie Carroll. So did I use Warren Beatty to break up with Peter or did Warren, with whom I was to spend two years, use me to further his career? Equal responsibility, I say. When Warren and I became a couple, we suddenly found ourselves flavor of the year and we lived on the scale expected of us. We moved into a penthouse suite at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel, drove around in a black convertible Lincoln Continental, and when we weren't going to parties or premieres, ate at the Inn Restaurant frascati's three times a week first thing in the morning he'd want to know what was going on in beverly hills but also in new york rome london and chicago as well phone calls all around jesus christ this is terrible what's new pussycat really was warren's opening line to girls at least mm-hmm. just you no know, this is you're gonna see this in a number oh. of stories he'd call girls and be like what's new pussycat yeah wow okay Okay. Back to Leslie. Try that today. Yeah. Basically, he was a very sensitive private person and not really comfortable in a crowd, but he played the part of a Playboy movie star conscientiously as if it were an acting job. He was totally absorbed by our new relationship, and his all-enveloping tenderness was very flattering, particularly since Peter Hall had had very little time for me. If we were apart even for a day... Warren would run up an enormous phone bill by constantly calling me. You got your red flags out? Okay. He told me what to wear, how to make up, and how to comb my hair. He even suggested I go to his analyst to redress my imperfect personality. Hmm. Interesting. Just a circus. Interesting. Interestingly, he longed for the approval of his movie star sister, Shirley MacLaine, and he once admitted that he thought I looked a bit like her. Wait, nope, nope, hold on. Neither of you is beautiful, but you're both dancers after all, he said. (laughs) Oh, God. At Christmas, he decided it was time to go to Rome. I I can't write this any better. No, no, no. Okay, time to go to Rome. But once there, he refused to leave his hotel bed and be a tourist. I was so disappointed that I roamed the streets alone stopping to buy myself an expensive golden diamond bracelet that I never wore. Like, this is such 
These are really identifiable feelings. Okay, she continues. He finally got out of bed to go see Rex Harrison on the set of Volpone, followed closely by the paparazzi. Well, that was the idea, wasn't it? We spent New Year's in London, where we ended up fighting in the streets like stray dogs right in front of the Connaught Hotel. The cause? We hadn't made a reservation for dinner and blamed each other. We made so much noise yelling in the street that someone shouted down from a third floor window, Shut up! True, Warren was the most concerned lover any woman could hope for. Too much so, sometimes. You're going to love this. Once at 5 a.m., he shook me awake. What? What's the matter? I asked, and he answered with a frown. You're sleeping. You're not thinking of me. (laughs) Wow. That's Inman. That's your cat. (laughs) Mom, you're sleeping. You're not thinking of me. Wow. Narcissist much? All right, Leslie continues. I had two years of this, but even at an early stage, I wasn't sure I could cope with the pace. I started suffering from stress and tipping into anorexia. It was a clear signal that I might soon be turning to drink or drugs. Anything to escape, not good. But as crazy as we wa- but as crazy as he was, Warren was my only available pair of comforting arms. Y'all don't this is not a good <laughs> enough reason, y'all. My career was going very well, although he made me refuse a lead part in Mirage, opposite Gregory Peck. A shame. I'd have loved to mm-hmm. I'd have loved to do it. It's hard to explain my complete submission to Warren. I can only say that I was so well conditioned by my mother to obey masculine authority that it took me years to rebel. One day, Warren found a script for us to act in together. Promise her anything, a sort of 1960s version of the Marx Brothers. He managed to set it up with Warner Brothers, then it fell through, then it was on again. To every day its own drama. Everyone loved Warren, but he couldn't do anything the easy way. To go from one point to another, he had to make complicated zigzags, lose himself, find the road again, until after fighting all the windmills, he arrived out of breath and then blamed you for the delays. That's a thorough little character sketch, isn't it? By then, everyone was too exhausted to fight, and he got what he wanted. Even though the film was set in New York, Warren decided to make it at Shepperton Studios just outside London. The reason, I suspect, was that he wanted me to be close to my children. He really did have a heart, and he loved them too. During filming, he taught me a lot, but what a hassle. He was such a perfectionist that nothing was ever right. Even when the director was happy, Warren wanted another take, or a better pen to hold, or a different set. The audience can't hear you shaking your head. Okay. I know <laughs> it's terrible. Sometimes I forget that the audience cannot hear No, they're shaking they're my head. shaking their head too with you. I think that's probably true. At some point he asked me to marry him. No way, I told him. For the summer of 1965, he rented a mansion on the edge of Beverly Hills that had two swimming pools, his and hers, and a master bedroom so large that you needed roller skates to reach the bathrooms. Did it come with the roller skates or did you have to supply those? I think you had to supply those. Oh, yeah. I'm going to do a little sum up here because I do want to get to the the terrible part. Her kids come for a holiday. It's awkward. Peter Hall insists they should never meet Warren as if he's a pedophile or dangerous criminal. So Warren moves into the Beverly Wilshire, 
kids leave, they head back to London and Warren hears that French director Francois Tafault was going to make a film of the novel Fahrenheit 451. Leslie sets up a meeting for them in Paris, but Tafault quickly guesses ulterior motive and that doesn't happen. But he's like, I do have a story just right for the two of you, Bonnie and Clyde. Warren flies straight to New York to get a hold of the script and then called me. I urged him to buy it, but he was far from convinced. Westerns aren't popular at all at the moment. They're considered B-movies, he protested. This isn't a Western, Warren. This is a gangster film. (laughs) Now, there hadn't been a good gangster film in a very long time, Leslie continues, and it's a great script. He buys it in the end when she returns to L.A. (laughs) He told me... He didn't think I was right to play Bonnie, opposite his Clyde. Partly because I was French, but also because... Uh, my age was a problem. Oh, I just thought he had moved on. He added bluntly, let's face it, you're too old for me. I've offered the part to Natalie. Oh, he so he had kind of moved on. Leslie says that hurt, apart from anything else. I knew that Natalie Wood had been his girlfriend before I came along. Mm -hmm. However, she turned that part down and Faye Dunaway played Bonnie instead. Now that 40 plus years have passed and all the pain of Warren's rejection has worn off, I can smile at his raw ambition and ruthlessness. At the time, though, it knocked me dizzy. Inevitably, we drifted apart. Warren stayed in Hollywood making the film. I stayed in London close to my children. Good luck, Warren. We've stayed friends all these years in a loose sort of way, and I'm still always very pleased to see you. Hmm. Well, that's nice. That's nice. What I would like to tell you is that staying friends with Warren Beatty had Leslie Caron in psychoanalysis for the next decades of years, which is not cool, man. Not cool. I mean, cool, psycho. I get therapy. That's amazing. Yes. But I know what you're saying. Yikes. All right. Let's talk about Faye Dunaway. (laughs) She does get that part. Bonnie and Bonnie and Clyde. These two are still fighting at the 2018 Academy Awards. They had the envelope gate. Oh, right. With the flub heard around the world. Sure, sure. This is from People Magazine. The two first meet when Beatty cast Dunaway as his partner in crime in the classic bank robbing film, which not only catapulted the two young stars to fame, but earned 10 Oscar nominations including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Costume Design. Despite their undeniable chemistry, as rebellious robbers without a cause, Dunaway and her co-star, Beatty, never dated. We both knew it would be the end of the relationship on screen, she'll tell people. It's a bad idea. You get very confused. It's why doctors don't operate on their families. (laughs) (laughs) you don't want to carry that personal luggage onto the set with you when you're trying to do a great job. Believable, perhaps. But when Leslie Caron is out, Julie Christie is in. And Julie Christie thinks that Warren Beatty is the bee's knees. They are smitten kittens. This one's going to begin in the late 1960s. It's going to run through 1973. Julie Christie breaks it off, probably, because she eventually wises up to the fact that he's toxic AF. (laughs) What clued her in? Well, here's some red flags. She will turn down fantastic roles because if she took those roles, she'd have to be away from him. And he couldn't handle that. 
Did he teach her how to comb her hair? <laughs> they did star in shampoo together. <laughs> and heaven can wait. Okay. Shirley MacLaine likes Julie Christie. He, uh, Warren Beatty refers to her as his wife, but they never get married. All of Julie Christie's friends are like, girl, you're in danger. He is a womanizer. And please, for the love of all things holy, leave this toxic man alone. By 1973, she does. Okay. Good for you, Julie okay. Christie. Whew. All right. I need to take a breath. Yeah. That's a lot. Breath in a shower. Okay. Here's another Trashy Divorces Connected alum, this time mentioned in the Rod Stewart story a few weeks back. His ex-girlfriend, Britt Eklund. Britt Eklund is fresh off her divorce from the Colors Make Me Feel Different Ways fame, Peter Sellers. And Warren and Britt carry on a really hot and heavy affair for about six weeks. In her 1982 book, True Britt, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. she will write, I have never known such pleasure. He could handle women as smoothly as operating an elevator. Oh, my. Okay, let's talk about that infamous song, Here We Are, You're So Vain. 1971, written in. I can tell you probably the month it was written in to April of 1971. It does appear on Carly Simon's No Secrets album. And it's a different type of curse. <laughs> I know in the Fleetwood Mac episode, we talked about Silver Springs, right? Because... It's curse. It's curse. But your so vain is not a clear-cut curse, right? It's not like this song is about you, Lindsay Buckingham. Carly keeps it a little ambiguous. But that forced speculation for decades. Decades. She spent a lot of years just denying, denying, denying who the song certainly was not about. The list includes Mick Jagger, Cat Stevens, Chris Christopherson. It is most certainly not about Warren Beatty. Which only increased the speculation that it was certainly about Warren Beatty. <laughs> it's actually a combination. I'm sure. Through years of research and judicious study of this actual topic. So let me give you a little backup. See, I thought you were going to say her research of these various men. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of into it. So in, again, every link that we use on Trashy Divorces is always going to be in at, listed at TrashyDivorces.com on the website. There's a magical clip with Carly, Simon, and previous Trashy Breakups alum from this season, Taylor Swift. And they're singing You're So Vain together. And Taylor Swift is like, oh my God, I heard it for the, I heard that song for the first time. And it was the best breakup song I've ever heard. And she's talking with Carly Simon. Carly Simon says, that was the song that developed the style I was going into. I didn't know I was developing my style, but that was the song that did it. Let me tell you why Carly Simon is writing this song in 1971. It is April night. Well, it's actually March. And Carly Simon gets a call. Hey, we want you to open at the Troubadour five opening shows for Cat Stevens, who's going to be there in April 1971. A little bit of a problem. Carly's never performed solo, nor does she have a backing band. So she reaches out to Russ Kunkel. Oh, also, she's afraid of flying. Mm. Okay, that's, but that's a lot. Okay. She makes it to LA to the Troubadour to do <laughs> these shows for Cat Stevens, who she will not romantically link up with until that summer when he comes back to New York. The song Anticipation 
is about Cat Stevens because can't show up on time for the date. And she writes anticipation in 15 minutes. Yes, I've done a lot of research on this. Okay, so what happens? Carly Simon, terrified of flying, terrified of performing, opening for Cat Stevens. And I can understand how you're probably in a vulnerable position in 1971 at the Troubadour. They meet. There are sparks at the Troubadour this particular night. Warren Beatty, few hours after meeting Carly Simon at the Troubadour, is going to show up at her place in L.A. They have a game night. Play some bunko, dice, I don't know. Carly Simon keeps her therapy appointment at 11 a.m. the next morning. Okay. They spend a night of passion. Okay. Okay. Playing bunko. You've made up the bunko. Totally. Okay. <laughs> just, just so we're cl- just you purists out there. <laughs> Why are you trashing bunko, you guys? I was watching through the windows and it was not bunko. <laughs> it was not bunko. Okay. So Carly shows up at her 11 a.m. therapy appointment, which is awesome. You keep those. Mm-hmm. And as Carly is revealing her night before, Troubadour, what happened? I'm terrified of getting back on a plane to going home. Oh, yeah. Last night, Warren Beatty came over. We we, we played cards. Mm-hmm. Her therapist will tell Carly Simon that Carly is not the first patient of the day to say they slept with Warren Beatty last night. <sighs> uh, uh, wow. Second verse is completely about Warren Beatty. You had me several years ago when I was still quite naive, when you said that we made such a pretty pair and that you would never leave. You gave away the things you loved. One of them was me. I had some dreams. There were clouds in my coffee. Yeah. Okay, but first verse isn't about Warren Beatty. Totally different spiderweb here. The first verse is about Nicholas Del Banco. Carly and Nick Del Banco spend the late 1960s together, kind of vagabonding around France, which is why you totally get why she'll use the term gavotte when so many other words in that verse would have rhymed. Why is it about Nick Del Banco and what does this have to do with trashy divorces? Who is Nick Del Banco? Nick Del Banco is a writer. He is also a professor at Bennington College, which is the real-life Vermont campus that Hampton College, the fictitious college location in Donna Tartt's The Secret History, is set. Nick Del Blanco wears apricot scarves. It is his thing at Bennington. Yeah. He is the one with the apricot scarves. Nick Del Blanco, which hooks into... Is this about Warren Beatty or... Yeah, but this gives me a chance to talk about our book club on Patreon that's happening October 3rd, where we are talking about The Secret History, written by Donna Tartt. I'm starting to see why you've been so very spun up about this story. No, Warren Beatty is the spider in the spider web. Right. He connects everything. I I didn't know that your Donna Tartt fixation would also get get It's not just Donna Tartt. We talked about this in the Rayelle Hunter story. And Jay McInerney, you've got Robert Easton Ellis, you've got spiderwebs that Brett Easton, whatever you have. We're gonna trim this section. Spiderwebs that connect to everything. What I do want to let y'all know: if you want to come to the Trashy Divorces, the Secret History Book Club by Dom Tart, October third, you can join us on Patreon over that. Okay, God, <laughs> off the rails.
And we're getting back to the rails. Okay. I want to talk about the song. The song is important. So the third verse, future Trashy Divorces alum here. Oh, gosh, I'm not done. I also added to our free Trash Candy Patreon link a Carly Simon Six Degrees of separation episode, as well as your trashy confidential. <laughs> Why did you throw me off at it so scripted? Kitchen Confidential, my trashy tutor, Kitchen Confidential yes. Takeover. Jesus. Okay. Whew. You're so vain. That is at bit.ly slash trash candy. Okay, let's return to the story. Knocked me off my axis. Okay, now. <laughs> Your axis is... <laughs> Third verse. Probably about Mick Jagger. Okay. Who will actually sing backup vocals in the song You're So Vain. Carly and Mick have not had their affair yet. But they will have that affair happen sometime after the song is released. We've covered Mick Jagger. But we haven't covered this one. In the third verse, okay. you're interested who, uh, when you're not with some underworld spy or the wife of a close friend is? That's Angie Bowie, who is married to David Bowie. Mm. Boom. Everybody in Hollywood getting around. <laughs> We're almost done. We're not quite done yet. We're getting close. Infamous day in April, you had me several years ago when I was still quite naive. Then I learned from my therapist just a few hours later that, you know, I wasn't your only one. Carly Simon will say that Warren Beatty called her years later and said, What's new, pussycat? Thanks for the song. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Okay, technically that should end this episode, but just for good measure, we mm-hmm. cannot not talk about Joni Mitchell. Okay. Who Warren Beatty will romance to get back at Carly Simon for writing the song You're So Vain. Now, this is where it gets a little complicated because Carly Simon and Joni Mitchell at the time are both vying for the attentions of James Taylor. Okay. Laurel Canyon, 71, yo. Whoa. Carly Simon will eventually marry James Taylor in 1972. I think that's comboed with your Fleetwood Mac divorce. I think that's the pair up on that one from many moons ago. But whatever Warren begins as a revenge fling with Joni Mitchell, it lasts a little longer than what just would be a fling. But ultimately, no dice. Okay, this is from The Cut. I'm just going to read this paragraph, and I think that you'll be able to tell what went wrong with Joni Mitchell. Warren Beatty, said she, Joni Mitchell, dressed like a senator's wife. Mm-hmm. Though... She tells me that Beatty couldn't pull me and it pulled him into psychiatry because he was used to his pleasure. Leonard Cohen said I dressed like a debutante, Mitchell says. When I went out of the hippie thing, I started wearing Yves Saint Laurent and some more expensive clothes. I guess you'd have to say. Still very casual the way I wore them since I wore them in my own way. And Warren, who was going out with Julie Christie at the time, said that my purse, which was Chanel, you know, one of those quilted bags, was a nice design. Julie carried a military bag, a khaki canvas bag. Warren just said mine was an unbecoming purse for an artist. Jenny's response is questioning, I have to give up my individuality to belong to the club? No, you got a quilted Chanel bag, baby. Carry that. Carry that all day long. You don't have to do that, Joni. No one should be giving up any of their individuality for a relationship. In fact, 
you being you and carrying that Chanel bag and dress in whatever way you want should enhance that relationship. This whole part one has been an adventure into, I think, recognizing and understanding the warning signs of a serial womanizer. (laughs) Not one moment in a good relationship should be compromising yourself unless it leads you to the greatest breakup song of all time. Mm. You're so vain and that creative output. That's part one of Warren Beatty. So you're saying... That Warren Beatty and Dave Coulier have something key in common. (laughs) Heard that No Scrubs song was about Warren Beatty. (laughs) No, but I mean, plenty of people think that Alanis, as you ought to know, is is like now. Well, but is now like the greatest breakup song ever. But yes, I would say those two are very much on par. You're So Vain is Mm -hmm. the you ought to know Mm -hmm. breakup song of of the the 1970s. 100%. That was a ride. That I promised it was going to be. You did, indeed. Promise when you that. saw the disco glitter sparks, that Laurel Canyon hippie hippie vibe coming off me, you knew I was getting into my element today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, before we close up, I'm bringing out my hippie dippy magic mirror for the first time mm-hmm. on a Wednesday. We never magic mirror on a Wednesday. We don't. But I was so taken by this. My magic mirror for the week, whose name do I see? I see L. Dorothy. L. Dorothy left us a five-star review saying we're the best podcast. And here's why it's a big deal. I've never reviewed a podcast before, but I couldn't resist. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Dorothy says, feminism at its best, served up in a female-friendly format. What's not to love? Sign up and find out what it's all about. L. Dorothy, thank you. You get the Magic Mirror shout out of the week. I was really taken by that. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's amazing. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Part two of Warren will be back for you before we close out season 12. Want to give every season 11. Whatever we're doing. (laughs) I want to give everybody a moment after this one just to catch their breath. Recoup. Everyone, go take a shower. You've earned it (laughs) after all of this. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you back on Sunday for a brand new episode of Trashy Divorces. Until we meet again. Keep your hands clean. Oh my God, so clean after that. And keep your hearts trashy. Like Warren Beatty. (laughs) Like, not like that. Like, be on the alert for the red flag, Joe. (sighs) All right. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much. Thanks, friends. See you Sunday. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacey and Alicia with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to 
sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there, and thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.